Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and develop strategies to transform themselves and their organizations into industry leaders. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I am delighted that with us today is Graham Finley. He's an associate fellow at the University of Oxford Said Business School. He consults to industry as an executive coach and change management advisor. Prior to specializing in leadership development, Finley held executive management roles and was accountable for delivering operational transformations and performance turnarounds on world-scale mega projects. His passion for high-performance teams led to academic research at Oxford University and HEC Paris. Finley holds a master's degree in consulting and coaching for change. So this show, I want the series to provide valuable information to leaders and emerging leaders that will prepare them to lead their organizations in the dynamic times in which we currently live. The more effective leaders we have, the better the journey. Also, I want to invite our global audience, and most of us are global at this point, to find peaceful and effective ways to work across borders and boundaries. In addition to sharing models and our experiences, I invite each of you as our listeners to find one thing from each weekly segment that you can put into practice either in changing your mindset or actually updating your leadership behavior. Think about when was the last time you updated the craft of leadership and how you perform it rather than updating the work you do in your organization. My passion is helping leaders stay current so that they can lead their organizations effectively. And on that note, Graham's going to be talking about how humans evolved from primitive hunter-gatherers to the modern civilization. The capacity to respond to leadership has become wired into our brains. As intelligence increased and with new abilities to communicate with more and more people at a time, new leadership approaches developed. Management expert and social anthropologist Graham Finley traces this development in his new book, Evolve, How Exceptional Leaders Leverage the Inner Voice of Human Evolution, showing how today's leaders can use multiple voices of leadership, each of which represents a different stage of leadership evolution. So, Graham, I am delighted that you are here and able to talk to us about your book. So, Let's start with the evolution of leadership. Can you tell us more about the work in this space? Sure, Maureen, and thank you for having me on the show. Um, Maureen, I became fascinated with uh, with the question of what's the origin of leadership? You know, where does leadership come from? Uh, and, I, and that uh, kicked me off on a line of research uh, looking for 
where you know what how it is that, that humans have cooperated through their ancient history uh, but more specifically um, my interest as uh, as someone who came from the the uh, real side if you like the, of leadership of actually putting leadership into practice was what insights this could give us in terms of how leadership shows up today so I really appreciate your balance of academic solid research and practical application. So we are talking about how leadership has evolved and why we care about it as people running organizations. So let's talk about the uh, your meta model or structured knowledge that identifies the four distinct outer voices of leadership that are needed for groups of increasing size. Yeah, so I think it's important, Maureen, um, to say that the meta model is uh, what a meta model is to start off with. So it's kind of a fancy academic name, uh, but uh, it's it's uh, it's a it's a framework that has a a very useful purpose. So a meta model attempts not to create a new model of leadership. Uh, you may have noticed there's many models of leadership out there already, uh, and uh, you know many of them are very very good. So mm-hmm. I didn't set out to, um, you know, put together a um, an alternative to them or a, or a competitor to them or to say I had a, you know, a better view of leadership than um, than anyone else. Um, what I instead intended to do was to uh, put together uh, a framework, essentially a model of models. So meta model just means taking the bigger view uh, of models. So. It's essentially a way to categorise existing leadership models uh, within a framework that, that makes sense. But it's more than just a filing system. It's more than just saying, oh, you know, emotional intelligence fits here and, um, you know, adaptive leadership fits there. It, it's actually, the framework is there to give connection between the various approaches. Uh, and what I noticed, of course, uh, you know, associated with my research around, uh, you know, the evolutionary history of leadership is that there was a, a strong correlation between, you know, that, that actually gave me the framework, uh, thinking about the way that leadership had evolved, uh, gave me that framework. I have a million questions, but I'm going to stick to to your book right now. Um what are the, you talk about four distinct voices. So let's jump into what they are and how do these voices connect with group size and with insights and effectiveness. And I would also be curious as we go along, I think you're going to talk about how they, are any of these voices associated with certain times in history or levels of complexity? Yeah, so that goes straight to the point, I guess, of the book, Maureen, where um, you know, if you if you chart the course of uh, human development, or more specifically, Homo sapien development, uh, because many of the traits that we currently uh, you know have as humans uh, really are remnants of the way we were before we were human. You know, we were Homo sapiens, but um, you know we think of ourselves as human. Um, as we, you know, go back through our written history, uh, I'm interested also in prehistory. So, uh, you know, if we, if we go from an evolutionary point of view, if we go back prior to about 50,000 years ago, uh, the maximum size of a group that co- could cooperate was around uh, 50 individuals or 50 adults. 
uh, which and and uh, you know obviously since that time we have learned to cooperate on a far greater scale than that. And so the question is, uh, you know, what is the leadership capability that holds that held together those 50 uh, individuals, and does it actually, uh, you know, translate as a remnant into the way that we cooperate today? And in the book, I lay out uh, a line of reasoning um, to 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 actually, um, you know, to to um, you know support that hypothesis. So two voices I'll talk about immediately associated with the very earliest uh, way that, uh, you know, Homo sapiens cooperated. So and already in, on, in my language, you'll be able to pick up, uh, you'll be able to pick up how that translates into the modern world. Uh, so the most fundamental voice, as I see it, is, is the heartfelt voice. So the heartfelt voice goes back to uh, really the behavior of these, um, you know, prehistoric Homo sapiens, um, which we can uh, find evidence, you know, from both ant in anthropological and, and um, uh, basis, but also in studying the behavior of chimpanzees who also, you know, live in groups but can't cooperate in, in, in groups much greater than about uh, 30 to 50 individuals. Uh, so the heartfelt voice is the, the close connection that we feel to others. And, so, uh, yes, Maureen. So as we think about groups now and drawing, I think, the parallel that we as, as current humans and leaders in a very complex environment still need to leverage each of these voices. I'm just thinking of groups I'm working with now. I'm preparing for a team building session this week. And it seems like even with all of the complexities, I need to reach back to some of those primitive voices and make sure that that foundation is solid because I can't do complex work without having a foundation. Is that the the hypo or the the premise? That's that's spot on, Maureen. And you know, inherent in the in the meta model that I put together is that uh, it's not just. A these uh, voices coexist today, um, but there's actually a, a distinct hierarchy. Um, so I refer to lower differential voices and higher differential voices. Now I don't do that from the perspective of higher differential voices being being um, better or superior, um, but the higher differential voices rely on the lower differential voices, and the one that's most foundational is the heartfelt voice. Um, and there's a wealth now of uh, research base that we can point to that says, you know, the um, psychological safety in teams is one of the highest uh, correlations with high performance. Well, what is psychological safety? Um, it's about relationship and it's about uh, connection to common purpose. Uh, so as you go into your team meeting this week, um, if you, uh, you know, if you pull people together and you immediately launch into some sort of uh, visioning activity, you know, say we're, we're going to this great new future place, come along with me, um, you know, that will seem uh, disingenuous if you haven't connected to people. So, you know, that, that trait that, that really is, is so ancient and sits deep within our ancient brain is still there today. And I would always counsel, uh, you know, leaders uh, to, con to continually connect back to, you know, relationship uh, when they're trying to get big things done. So can you give me a tactic that, that a group of leaders might take 
to first ground in that heartfelt voice. So let's make this very practical. Great. So um, I like to think about uh, one of the mistakes I think people make uh, or leaders make when they they think about building relationships um, is that they kind of confuse, you know, relationship uh, building in, in a business sense, in a in a in an organisational sense, uh, with how they build relationships outside of work. And I think there's a distinct difference. Um, Clearly, you know, a foundation of relationship that's based on mutual care is really, really important, is important. Uh, and if you like uh, relationships outside of work, you know, that's what it is. If, if you care for me and I care for you, then we've got a strong relationship. Um, you know, we might be friends or, or, or even more. Um, at work, though, it, you know, relationships, very, very close personal relationships can be, uh, you know, a foundation for great performance, but we also know they can be pretty troublesome as well. You know, it's quite difficult to have a performance uh, conversation with someone who's a close friend, uh, and sometimes, you know, stuff gets in the way. So the practical tactics that I go to is is there's two aspects to to work relationships with I work on. One is, yes, you do need to build on mutual care, but it needs to be an inclusive type of care um, so that everyone in the team feels equally included within that care. Um, and not, uh, you know, one, one basic mistake that is made is we tend to make better relationships with the people we connect to better, whereas a leader needs to make connections with all of the people in their team or, or all the people who are uh, needed to get the objective achieved. But also, I think about relation work relationships from the perspective, not so much of a care basis, but from the basis of, do we have a mutual purpose? You know, are we... You know, so building that that common connection of we're both trying to achieve the same thing uh, is is also very powerful. In fact, two strangers can get things done if they have a, a connection purpose, and in a way, that's you know, that's still a work relationship. So I, I use the two dimensions, Maureen. So um, you know, I build on um, you know building inclusivity of uh, you know recognizing the diversity in the room of you know building care between team members in terms of looking after you know each other's um, psychological safety but equally well you know it's a conversation about you know what what are we deeply connected to you know what is our our personal purpose and then how does that connect to this purpose that we have at work great thank you in fact i'm taking notes as we go along i love the idea that we take a moment to connect with personal purpose first and then work purpose and talk about how that shows up for each of us. And and that is our foundation. So it's not a touchy feely thing. It's a very practical, this is what we do to get the work done. Yes. And I I see that, uh, you know, that mistake made all the time where, um, you know, the, the, the purpose, you know, there is a the mutual purpose we have at work is about getting the work done. Um, and at time, you know, and that, that does rely on a, a foundation of relationship. 
Um, but the relationships that you know to, in high performance team have an edge as well because you know while we, we look after each other in terms of uh, you know working the issue and not and, and not personalizing um, but we also you know are, are constantly looking to maximize the the leverage that we get from our, our relationship uh, because we do hard work and uh, you know sometimes um, you know sometimes as a result a relationship Relationships get broken, um, but often, as we all know, you know, relation, best relationships are made in repair. Uh, so again, and, and the other aspect of this is once you have built, you know, strong relationships, you know, to what extent can you leverage them and really start to, you know, to pull for high performance rather than, uh, you know, just perpetuating the performance level that you have. Great. Thank you. So we are going to go on break now. We've talked about one of the four voices, the heartfelt voice, which is the oldest and the foundation. So I would encourage our listeners during break to think about what is your heartfelt voice in your teams? Do you give people the opportunity to connect with their personal purpose and connect that with the organizational purpose and is that the foundation for the relationships that we build along with mutual care we'll be right back this is maureen metcalf and graham finley and we're talking about his book evolve how exceptional leaders leverage the inner voices of human evolution Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. 
Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leaders, Co-Creating Our Future. We are with guest Graham Finley, and he is talking about his book, Evolve, How Exceptional Leaders Leverage the Inner Voice of Human Evolution. We started with the first voice, the heartfelt voice. Let's now move into the second voice, command voice. Graham, can you tell us what that means? Yeah, Maureen. Sometimes people have a, a quite a negative reaction to when I um, when I talk about command voice, um, including at times uh, I get the the uh, criticism um, that it's, there's a gender bias to it. Um, the command mm-hmm. voice is something we should leave behind. Um, that it uh, that it represents a style of leadership that uh, that doesn't doesn't that shouldn't resonate in the modern world. Uh, I, I disagree, and and I, I deliberately leave it in there. Um, you know, I guess because it provokes that conversation, which I think is a great conversation. So the first thing to say straight up front is that the the command voice is not about shouting. It's not about uh, you know demonstrable, uh, overbearing, um, and overuse of power. Um, it is, however, a strong. It is, however, a strong use of power, but in a quiet way. Um, so, and anyone um, who is determined, any leader who is determined to improve their leadership performance, um, has the capability of getting stuff done, and you know the ability to actually speak. Uh, to get results is not surprisingly a critically important part of uh, being a leader. So this is the uh, voice that's actually founded in, you know, back in those prehistoric times uh, that held together a a group of around uh, 50 homo sapiens or up to about 50. Um, the reason that I can only stretch to about 50 is there's a limit because the, to how many direct relationships you can have. So the command voice is a one-to-one relationship. In other words, it connects between me as a leader and the person that I'm speaking to, and it's about a, creating a contract to get things done. Interesting. So I'm thinking of any one of us who has... It, it is related in power and, and the strong use of strong positive use of power. But I'm also thinking of a parent who yells at a child who's ready to run in front of a car or something. Not, not that we're talking about that professionally, but the variation that says there are times that we use a stern voice for the good of the group. And it, it is there are times it's appropriate. There is times that there's appropriate and running in front of the car, a child running in front of the car is actually quite a nice analogy, Maureen, because, you know, metaphorically, uh, people at work run in front of cars all the time. <laughs> yeah. um, and our, uh, you know, our job as leaders is to, um, to help them. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, and sometimes that help is, uh, is tough love. So, you know, the use of power, uh, you, you know, as a leader, I always coach that it's your responsibility to take up your, the power associated with your role uh, and to responsibly use that power, um, not least of which is because if you don't, it migrates to other places in the organisation um, and often to a place that, that's not in line with what your organisation needs you to achieve as a leader. You know, it's interesting that you talked about the gender bias because I imagine women, in some cases, may be a little more allergic to power because of our upbringing and being 
more group oriented. Can you, is that statement an accurate one? And can you speak to that? Uh, I suspect that you're right, Maureen, but I've got no academic, I haven't done the, mm. the research to actually okay. back that up. What I will say is that, uh, you know, in, in this area, um, that I have found uh, women and men equally inept um, ah. and equally proficient. <laughs> so um, I, I, I guess maybe as a matter of choice, I don't, uh, I, I don't coach people differently based on, on gender. And certainly I find that many women find this a, 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 a very useful um, you know, concept to engage with because uh, it gives them the confidence to actually exercise that leadership power uh, in a way that's actually, you know, completely feminine and completely them. Um, and they find themselves, you know, equally able to uh, to get things done uh, with a few simple techniques around, uh, you know, use of the command voice. So in one minute, can you give us one of those techniques, not specifically directed at women, but anyone who is trying to build the command voice? One of the, the, the really foundational basis of the, com- of the command voice is the ability to make strong requests and to get, uh, you know, establish a contract for the delivery of an outcome. Um, and the, the components of that are, are really, really obvious. And yet if I walk into an organisation and uh, take, a, you know, and, and observe the way that requests are made, very, you know, probably 99% of requests don't fulfil it. You know, a request is a contract. If I was making a request of you, Maureen, it's a contract that I'm setting up between you and I uh, around a very specific set of deliverables by a very specific time. Um, as, you know, as modern humans, we've learned to kind of avoid those straight conversations and, and clothe them in, uh, you know, a plethora of indirect language. Whereas getting much more direct with our language when we make those requests um, has an amazing influence on, you know, on the delivery, on, on delivery of results. Great. Thank you. I, yeah, I'm thinking as, as we go along where I have avoided being clear Again, about how I'm socialized, and and it's disastrous. So yes. let's move on. <laughs> and, we, we, and we all have stories on that, don't we? We all have stories mm-hmm. on that because uh, uh, you know we carry we carry what we carry in terms of our um, social upbringing. Uh, you know about about that being direct is being rude. Um, but what I would say here, here, this is where we start to build this. Uh, this, uh, you know, integrated model of uh, leadership because the com- when the command voice is actually based on a foundation of the heartfelt voice, in other words, it comes from a place of care in the same way as, uh, you know, the reason that you shout at your child when they're about to run out in front of a car is because it comes from a place of care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you come from a place of care, you can be direct without damaging relationships. And that's what I mean by starting to leverage those relationships for real results. Perfect. Thank you for that example. Let's now move to the pro-social voice. So we've done heartfelt and then command. We're now moving to pro-social. Yeah, pro-social is perhaps in some ways the one that people think is the weirdest. Uh, So pro-social voice based on uh, a relatively uh, new strand of um, uh, psychology research, uh, which is around uh, social identity. Um, 
But the thing, the, the reason people think it's weird is when I say that it's uh, it's actually all about gossip, um, and people say, "Well, what's gossip got to do with uh, you know with modern leadership? That's that's something as a leader I'm not interested in. That's that's kind of beneath me." Um, pro-social voice is actually the use of positive gossip, if you like. Um, so it's the ability to build a strong social environment about around what we're trying to achieve, where people are connected to each other uh, and work in, you know, in, work in that connection with each other. It turns out that gossip, or the ability to use indirect language, you think about the utility of gossip. Gossip allows us to work at a distance. No longer do we need to have a one-to-one -one, uh, conversation to get stuff done. We can send messages, we can talk to multiple people simultaneously, and importantly, we can infer um, we can infer and transfer information about the reliability of others. And it was this capability that actually allowed prehistoric humans to make a big jump from those groups of about 30 or 50 people um, through to groups of up to 150 to up towards 200. So the size of communities or communes that could cooperate increased dramatically when, when we developed the capability to use indirect language. So can you give me a tactic here to be effective also? So we've just talked about command voice and how I am direct. So I'm moving from direct to indirect. And specifically, again, I hear the change in size, not only in prehistoric community, but if I'm managing a group or a company of people over 50, I really need to be good at this pro-social voice. Yes, absolutely. And um, and not only with a group of, of 150, again, it's foundational for even bigger groups, um, but also as modern humans, we, we constantly look for all of these voices. So even in smaller groups, it's important to think about the, the social dynamics and and the way that uh, you are, you know, building teams with the pro-social voice. So a way you might go about that, um, you know, pro-social voice is in some ways an egalitarian leadership style. Um, so where the command voice is power over others, um, to, you know, putting it putting it in, in direct terms, you're using your power to get things done. Um, when it comes to these, these larger groups, um, you know, that's not particularly effective uh, and, and in fact can backfire. So the pro-social voice is actually indirect. So it's not power over others, it's power through others. So with the pro-social voice, what you're looking to do is to actually raise uh, the level of leadership that emerges within, you know, broadly within the team. So you you celebrate the behave when you see behaviours pop up that uh, you know are supportive of this positive social environment. You know you're encouraging others to take the lead in terms of you know building on that, and. So that that's really the basis of the uh, you know one of the one of the techniques to start building this social cohesion. So that makes sense. Again, I go from heartfelt. I care about you, and we have this mutual bond to the mission. I demonstrate direct communication to come to agreements on how we're going to get the work done, what we're going to get done, and how. And then the pro-social sounds like not only working from a distance, but raising the level of leadership of everyone in the group, more egalitarian. 
Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and in, importantly, you know, the power of the pro-social voice is it's is is about what's what gets done when the boss isn't around. Because as you as you get into groups, you know, of uh, greater than about fifty, um, the boss is not around. You know, the boss is um, you know relatively absent. So. Uh, what gets done when the boss is not uh, not around is really really important, and it turns out that uh, you know one of the the biggest uh, influences over what I do when the boss is not around is what my coworker is doing, um, and and importantly you know the way my coworker is talking about you know the endeavour in which I'm engaged in is really really important, and I tend to model on my behaviour or. Or as a group, we come to, you know, an acceptable norms of behavior. Uh, so this is the power of the pro-social voice, which is it goes beyond, you know, that line of sight. So now people are working in service of, of the goal, um, largely because they've, you know, we've decided as a group that, you know, this is who we are, you know, and this is us and, and there's a real connection between us, and this is and this is how you behave. You when when you know when a new person walks into the group, this is how we behave around here. Got it. Okay, so that that helps that driving the culture. Now let's talk about the futurizing voice. So the futurizing voice, in many ways, is the is the uh, if you like the stereotype of the great leader. Um, so. Um, you know Martin Luther King, uh, Nelson Mandela, people who can can speak um, and create you know large scale you know societal change or large large scale community change. Um, you know, in my book, I, I do a case study around Martin Luther King um, to show that. Uh, you know, I'm, my assertion is that he has been uh, largely misrepresented when it comes to what leadership uh, lessons we can take from his work, <clears throat> because you know some would have you believe that you know the the, the skill of leadership is all around about being uh, you know a magnificent um, orator, being able to you know do impassioned speeches. When you look at the work of Martin Luther King. Um, you know, you can identify the other voices in his work more than identify them. You can see how foundational they were. So very strong, a heartfelt voice, you know, a person who cared deeply about those, uh, you know, close to him. Very strong command voice, you know, the Montgomery bus uh, boycott was uh, an incredible uh, exercise in logistics um, led by uh, Martin Luther King. Pro-social voice, you know, the, the, um, the ability to, uh, and, and the, the role of the, the Southern Christian churches in terms of being the heart of the, you know, the social connection um, of the African-American communities um, was an incredible foundation. And it was these things that actually then, you know, allowed uh, for, you know, the, the, you know, incredible speeches that, you um, uh, that Martin Luther King made to to actually gain traction. You know, my assertion is that if he hadn't had you know this this uh, this arsenal of leadership capabilities, that his speeches would largely be like you know a lot of um, you know political speeches, but particularly that we hear nowadays, where it's uh, it's it's just taken as spin. So, but because it was you know his speeches were backed by this you know. 
this uh, array of different leadership capabilities, he was very, you know, he was able to gain uh, traction where uh, where others would not. Beautiful. I love the illustration. We're going to go to break right now, and then we'll come back and talk more about the hierarchy of voices and how we can put these into practice in our own professional lives. So this is Maureen Metcalf and Graham Finley. We're talking about his book, Evolve, How Exceptional Leaders Leverage the Inner Voice of Human Evolution. And during break, I would encourage our leaders to think about which of these voices felt most uncomfortable to you and why is that and how might you develop it? We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leaders, Co-Creating Our Future. Our guest is Graham Finley, and we're talking about his book, Evolve, How Exceptional Leaders Leverage the Inner Voice of Human Evolution. And so we ended with the futurizing voice. So can you tell us a little bit more about that in the modern world and also how it relates to the hierarchy of the voices? Great, Maureen. The, the, um, I think... One of the things about that I want to say about the, the futurizing voice in the modern world is uh, to talk about complexity. So the futurizing voice, uh, again, we have this, uh, I guess, stereotype associated with the futurizing voice, being a great leader on the mountain, you know, um, preaching, you know, leading, leading the way. 
But we all know that in the modern world, uh, we deal with a much more complex context than, um, than historical leaders did. Um, so that complexity is something that uh, the futurizing voice needs to um, take account of. Um, and the complexity, of course, you know, um, the, the pivotal or seminal works around complexity, um, such as, um, you know, Heifetz Adaptive Leadership, um, tell us that technical solutions in, in complex environments uh, are, are, are on the road to failure. Um, so the, the, one of the key aspects of the futurizing voice is it operates with complexity. Um, but the way um, I see that is that the futurizing voice is not a leadership uh, capability that overcomes complexity. I actually see complexity as the energy which actually drives the futurizing voice. So complex systems are incredibly energetic. The problem is that the energies uh, work against each other. Uh, we want to, as, as leaders, we want to get uh, start to align some of those energies and create movements um, within that complex system. And so the futurizing voice, you know, is not some, is not a hammer. It's actually that that sort of overcomes this this evil thing called complexity. It's actually powered by complexity and taps into and starts to align, you know, movements that already exist within the complex system. So that that's interesting that the voice aligns movements. How how does that happen? So um, it is about setting, uh, you know, futurizing voice is about setting vision. Um, but we all know that we can't actually set a vision and actually, you know, create a plan to get to that vision. <clears throat> the complex world will cause us to, you know, go off track at some point in time. So the vision instead needs to be a North Star. It needs to be, you know, guiding us. It needs to encompass a higher purpose. And by enrolling people in a higher purpose, in the presence of all the other, you know, um, supporting lower differential voices, um, that becomes like the pull for the organisation. So, you know, movements that are out there but but somewhat misaligned start to align towards, you know, this 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 vision, if you like, or or this purpose. Uh, this value set that we have as 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 uh, as an organisation, or that as we build as leaders within our organisation. So that sounds like then it connects back with the heartfelt voice that I started with. One is present and connected to the individual, and one is looking forward at where we're going. It's very insightful to spot that, Maureen. You know, it's almost circular in nature, isn't it? Uh, and it's interesting that uh, the highest and most powerful of the voices has that almost direct connection back to the the foundation of the heartfelt voice. Uh, and this is something that 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 uh, you know I'm particularly interested in as we start to contemplate uh, you know a new revolution uh, uh, which will cause us to need new leadership capabilities in the future. How do we found them in our fundamental humanity? Uh, so what's, you know, when, when does a vision become um, actually, you know, that, that purpose and, um, and actually pull it, us towards us? Well, it's when it connects to our fundamental humanity, when we feel valued, when we feel connected to, uh, when we feel like we're doing good in the world. 
Interesting. So I'm now I'm thinking again back to your Martin Luther King reference, and that he built from heartfelt to command to pro-social to futurizing. Would that be a good example to then um, take us through the hierarchy? Absolutely. Um, the uh, so if we think about Martin Luther King, but let's but let's also translate that into the you know what what you might do as a leader you know in the modern world. Great. Um, so uh, there's, there's this kind of myth, I guess that uh, well, I think it's a myth anyway that the first thing a leader should do when they take over a new team is take them out of the office and uh, have one of those excruciating vision setting um, <laughs> exercises uh, where we all sit around all day and uh, the only uh, positive thing that's ever come out of uh, you know the vast majority of those is that 3M make a lot of money out of uh, selling flip charts. <laughs> and post-it um, notes. That cause at the end of the day, you know, pretty much zero impact on the world. So... Um, because the visioning, you know, going straight into visioning uh, without the other the voices is is empty, uh, and it feels disingenuous, and and people, you know, end up mouthing the you know the vision or happy to sign off on a charter or, you know, have it printed on a coffee mug, um, but it does nothing. Um, so, so I always say, sorry, Maureen. So let me interrupt. So you're not saying that visioning sessions are unproductive in and of themselves it's just if we start with visioning before we start with connection is that accurate absolutely absolutely okay. uh, so uh, for so I think for organizations and leaders of organizations to create fundamental change and deliver on on you know the large-scale um, visions or, or, or changes in direction for organization or changes in um, uh, you know, in the levels of results or performance, um, that you start with connection between, you know, at, at a fundamental level. As I mentioned before, there's uh, an enormous amount of academic uh, research now that says the most important thing in terms of high-performance teams is that psychological safety, um, which is built within teams and built at a personal level. Um, but but organisations need to be able to get things done. Um, and, uh, you know, if you try to build a vision on top of an organisation that uh, can't get stuff done, isn't operationally um, effective, doesn't have operational discipline, doesn't deliver on its results, um, you know, doesn't get, uh, you know, doesn't hit its performance targets, doesn't all production targets or whatever is out there, then, you know, you're, you're building on unstable foundations. So you need that operational excellence to be in place place to actually then, you know, start to um, change the, the broad direction or, or, or make a broad scale change. And without the pro-social voice, uh, I guarantee you, your visioning um, efforts will be uh, undermined by, you know, unproductive, um, you know, gossip and, and chit-chat. If people, uh, you know, aren't on board, you know, in terms of the social dynamic if they don't see you know if they're part of a group that doesn't see themselves connected to the work um, then you know all you'll precipitate with your well-intentioned visioning activities is uh, lots of conversations in the 
you know, hallways or around the coffee machine, uh, which just, you know, unhelpful gossip, uh, you know, kind of working counter to your intentions. So that's a, sort of the, the nature of the, the hierarchical nature, as I see it, of, uh, um, of the, and, and one which is borne out in, the, you know, the research when I go back to, mm-hmm. well, why do they exist? They exist for those because they've been, ev- they've been evolutionary ad- advantageous for us as a species. Um, so these things are not, uh, you know, they're, they're deeply wired within our brain. So it's it's interesting that this is then connecting to the neuropsychology, and so I wonder how can leaders use your meta model to expand their influence, uh, both through the development of self awareness and the understanding of the psychology of followers. And um, your call here, but do you want to use the example of a new leader? And I'm entering the organization. How would I start? moving and using your four voices to to build trust and then um, get work done, create the culture, and then uh, invite people toward the future? Well, I think one of the big um, issues, Maureen, is that, uh, you know, I get very little um, objection or argument when I outline, you know, the sort of the, the, the foundation of well, how this works, you know, the hierarchical nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and the four clusters are unsurprising, aren't they? They're, you know, if I asked a group of leaders what's important as a leader and we started to theme them and group them, we'd, we'd end up with these, you know, with these four or four very similar ones very quickly. Uh, the, the problem is that leaders struggle to actually make the changes. And you mentioned self-awareness. Um, People struggle to make the changes to actually implement, you know, these voices, even though they know that they will improve performance or, you know, improve their ability to, you know, make large scale change, which would seem counterintuitive that that I might teach uh, people skills on, say, command voice, and they know that they need to, that they can see the benefit of doing it. And yet they, they struggle to make the change, even though they, they really, really want to. Which is where we start getting to the, um, you know, to the other um, part of, uh, of the meta model. Uh, what I've been talking about to date has been the outer voices. Uh, I also use a metaphor of inner voice, inner voice being a window into ourselves um, and what it is within ourselves that actually impairs us from being the best leader that we can be. So, um, you know, for a leader, you know, looking to improve their performance, I think it's in, incredibly important that they start to examine themselves for, for how they're bringing themselves undone. What are they, how is their unconscious uh, intervening to stop them being the best leader that they can be? And how can they become more and more aware of that, of, of what's happening uh, in order to make some choices around that? You know, I'd love to do a whole interview about the inner voices as well, because that seems to be at least as important as the outer voices. Absolutely. And, and, and again, I, I uh, you know, the, the, the foundation of the differential voice uh, meta model is that for each of the outer voices, there is a specific inner voice which disables it. Uh, and you're right, that's a whole podcast uh, of its own at least. But um, categorizing the inner voices I see is less important than understanding that there is an inner voice 
and that, you know, when it is as a leader that I find myself challenged to do what I know, you know, I should be doing or, um, and it seems like something there is pre preventing me, um, you know, start to inquire about that. You know, how can you actually almost uh, step aside from yourself and look at yourself, you know, create that, that distance from the emotions that you feel and start to understand, you know, that the, the, the unconscious things that are coming to bear because when you examine them, you find them to be rather, um, you know, rather flimsy in terms of their basis, which then allows you to start to, um, you know, rewire your brain to say, you know, this is not a threat. This is not, you know, this is this is something I can do, and um, you know, it it it, it doesn't violate, uh, uh, you know, the norms that I've kind of built into my brain in terms of the way we interact socially. So it's a brilliant comment about uh, brain wiring, and I know we only have a couple of minutes left, but I really want to amplify what you've said, that not only do I have to identify what the voices are, but identify where I am, both strong and where I'm challenged, and connect that challenge to what within me is uncomfortable, whether it's power or gossip or futurizing or being heartfelt, and really practice until I can build the neural pathways that allow me to do this, even if it's bumpy, I still have to practice it. Yes, even if it's bumpy and, and the more you practice it, the more you, you rewire those those neural pathways that, is, that are, have been set so strongly. Now, this is the real revolution, isn't it, Maureen, of, of adult learning? You know, what we've found out about adult learning um, is this ability for adults to rewire their brain that we we never, you know, in, um, you know, is a relatively, um, you know, new understanding and uh, gives us, uh, it should give us great confidence in terms of our ability to really change our impact as leaders. You know, I love that as a closing statement. I'm going to read the voices again, but I love the idea that as leaders, because of the neuroplasticity of our brains, that we are able to continually now evolve not only our behaviors, but our whole inner process and our brain functioning. So the four voices, outer voices, are the heartfelt voice, command voice, pro-social, and futurizing. And these come from Grand Finley's book, Evolve, How Exceptional Leaders Leverage the Inner Voice of Human Evolution. So, Graham, thank you so much. I assume your books are available on Amazon and... Um, anything else you want to tell us about where to find them? Yeah, they're available on all the on, on all the usual uh, channels, Maureen. And uh, I think also uh, please, uh, you know, look me up on um, on the web on grahamfinlay.com and and, and uh, I, I post articles regularly and uh, I'll link with me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much. And for our listeners, I hope you heard something today that you can put into action as far as your outer voice and maybe something that will connect with your inner voice that will change your leadership mindset. This is Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I would love to hear from you either at info at innovateleader.com or on LinkedIn or Facebook under Innovating Leadership. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you join again next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. 
Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.